I'm Matt Garrett Fisher, and this is the Burn From Within show. Each week, I interview inspiring people who have changed their career or life to light up inside. So if you want to get excited about your Mondays, work on meaningful projects, and have more time for the passions and people that matter to you, stay tuned. On this episode, I talk to George McGarren, who founded the McGarren Group, which is a national executive search firm now turning over eight figures a year after being in business for over 20 years. Now, they mostly deal with leaders at the C-suite level. So, you know, CEOs, CTOs, CFOs, CIOs, all throughout Europe, the US and South America. And besides managing his recruitment firm, George also coaches leaders on both their branding for career and their career paths. He decided to start a business literally at the unemployment office, waiting to learn how much his employment check would be after getting laid off back in the year 2000, 20 years ago. So a great guy to pick brains on for the job market now and mindsets for career change. In this episode, we discuss how George decided on the business he's in now and what's the risk of setting up a business versus taking the employment route, how careers are like relationships and how to turn toxic ones into great lessons and opportunities, being in the right career vehicle and how that can transform how happy and fulfilled you are how taking responsibility for money management can alleviate your worries even when things like COVID and recessions hit, being present with people, the value of time versus chasing more and more money, being in a financial prison even as a high-earning executive and how to restore balance in life. Four tips to shift your mindset so you approach job hunting the right way during COVID how to pivot your skills into a new industry or a new career, getting the unfair advantage in your job search, the practice of building resilience, and what's the one thing that makes George McGarren burn from within. The full show notes and videos of other interviews are available at burnfromwithin.com forward slash interviews. So listen all the way through and enjoy. Take yourself back, George, 20 years ago when you decided to start your business, McGarren Group, which has now grown to, to really great success. It started when you were laid off and you were waiting for your unemployment paycheck. There's a lot of people that are in that position now. COVID-19's happened. There's been mass unemployment globally. It's, it's a very pressing issue for a lot of people listening. How did you make that decision, George, to start a business when you're unemployed? And also, how did you choose the business that you're in now, Executive Search? So it's two great questions. First thing was, so I was, I never had the idea to start a business. It just wasn't, wasn't in the cards. So I'm literally sitting and sitting at the unemployment, you know, office. And there's people next left and right to me. And I'm thinking, this is terrible, but this is literally what, I mean, it's, I think it's, was literally thinking, look at all these, there's some really, there's some winners in this office. I was thinking this, 
Then I stopped myself and I realized, you know what? They're probably saying the same thing about me. I don't know if you've ever collected an unemployment check before, but the pro like governmental, when they give you, it's just very slow. So you, you sit there for a while and I started thinking, I was like, I'm here. And, and you start looking at other people that are coming in and out and and I'm thinking, I've done everything I was supposed to do. I went to these decent universities and schools and, and, and I worked at these pedigree companies. I've done everything, like to the tech, like everything my whole life. And I'm still sitting here. And then I started to evaluate risk. I'm not a big, I don't know, I'm not a huge numbers guy, but I was thinking like me working, me working for myself or working for somebody else, it's riskier to work for somebody else, quite frankly, because in my situation, I'd, I'd moved to Miami three months into it. They closed, there was a German company who decided to close down the Miami office. I, I hadn't done anything wrong. And I know I was out of a job. And I realized, you know what? Like, if I'm ever going to fail again, I'd like to fail at least on my own terms. And, and I think it was probably, it might have been the first time that I just accepted that I was probably the problem because I was the one who was working for these companies and, and trading time for money. And I thought, how hard, could, like, how hard could it be to start a business? It can't be that hard. I, I thought the guys in Germany weren't that smart. They've got a business. Like, it's not. And, and then I saw the unemployment check and I thought, man, this is, I'm already broke. I'm already broke. Unemployment checks aren't exactly, I can barely get by. And I'm thinking, like, at least if I'm going to fail, I want to fail on my own terms. And I've always seen it that way. And this is the this is the, how I see the, the mathematical equation. I know it's, it's it's a long answer, but if you work for a company, and I'm not saying working for a company is a bad thing, but if you work for a company and you do a great job, they give you a bonus, and they say, "Hey, Matt, come back next year. Good job." If if you don't do a great job, they say, "Hey, Matt, it was nice of you. Thanks for coming and showing up, but we're not going to invite you back next year." If you have a company and you do a great job, right? You get paid very well for it, usually. If you don't do a great job, then you're still in the, you're still in the street and you're still unemployed, just like the guy who works for a company. So your risk is really the same. And there's a mind shift change of people are so afraid. Like we're taught our kids not to do. We're taught to go get a job, and you were taught this too, right? In England, you were taught this, right? Go work for somebody, and get a job, and and that's what we're taught. We're not taught control your own time, work with people you want to work with, do something you love, right? We're not taught that. We're just taught, hey, go to school, go to university, go work for a company, and then you can work for somebody else. And the risk is literally the same. It's literally the same. So COVID, so now 2020, you've got a lot of people that are unemployed. They're thinking, maybe I'll start a business. And they're worried. Will it work? Will it not work? I've been doing this 20 years. I'm still worried. Like tomorrow, I'm worried if there's going to be any money coming in. Like it's not, the, the, the worry of does it work, does it doesn't work is always, a, is always an issue. So you need to just put that away. And focus on focus on some of your core sort of skill sets, and uh, but that's that's why I started a business. I literally got into recruiting because my plan was I'll find a job to pay for my new business. I'll be like a free freelancer, and I walked into a bunch of these recruiting offices and I thought, like I could do this. This is like this is a no brainer for me, and that's how it started. So I literally walked into the career that I have, and I don't know, I don't know. There's a I met a Swedish guy, and he said. George, you've got this life of like, you're, I, I, it must be a Swedish saying, but he said that like sailing on a shrimp sandwich, which was, I always, it's like turning lemons into lemonade, or I just find these terrible situations. I turn it into just a, a little more optimistic end result. So it, it's, I don't know, I, like life is short. You have to enjoy it. And, and I tell you, it's terrible to work for somebody else that you don't enjoy. So for sure. And I'm just thinking about the point you raised. And it, I remember I read a quote from you where you said, most successful businesses that were started and continue to thrive for close to 20 years now were all mistakes turned into businesses. And this 
whole concept that you just raised of turning errors or unfortunate circumstances into opportunities. How can you relate that to people that are going through job loss or career change? Because a lot of people will feel that if, if, if they're in the wrong job, particularly the wrong career, that they've made a mistake. How can they turn right. that into an opportunity and, and make that into a, a thriving new career or a thriving business like you? And this is, and it's, and, and career is very related to relationships, right? If you think about, if you think about great marriages, bad marriages, toxic relationships, healthy relationships, the career, there's a lot of, there's a lot of commonalities between a lot of these things. Sometimes I can tell you, I was, I'm on my second marriage, right? I've been married for a long time now. Uh, I've got two kids. My, my first marriage was disaster, like no kids, thank God. But the first marriage was disaster, like disaster, you know? And at the moment you're like, oh my God, this is the worst thing that's happening to me. And you're, this is terrible. And then you later on, you see, it's a blessing. It's a blessing. And I'm a better partner because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a better father, I'm sure. I'm a better listener. And I've got, a, I've got an awesome second marriage, which is just the reality of my situation. But I think if you're unemployed, Sometimes it's not you. Sometimes it's the actual vehicle that you're in. This is a problem I see with a lot of people. They're unhappy. They love what they do. So take, I don't know, let's take a marketing person. They love being a marketer, but sometimes they're in the wrong company or in the wrong vehicle. So let's say they're marketing for a bank and maybe they hate a bank environment, but they would love a startup. So I would say besides changing, doing a whole 180, 360 sort of flip-flop. Think about, I would probably get a list. And, and by the way, this is, I don't know if a lot of your, I journal the hell out of things and make a list of things you like about what, what you do for a living, things you don't like and find a vehicle, right? Find a vehicle where you can expose some of the positives. I, I like what I do because I get to help people. At the end of the day, it's not about the money. It's about the help. I get to help people. And that's why recruiting and coaching and branding. And I literally get to see, even though they don't see it, I, I get to help the kids, there's kids. And they, I get to make a difference in their lives. And that's why I like what I do. So if I were to not do this, I would do something else where I could help people. And you're, you're, they're probably in the wrong vehicle. Get in a vehicle where you can, you can thrive because it's unemployed is tough, but I can tell you, usually it's like a relationship. Usually the, the sun comes out after the storm. It's just a way things work out. Second thing I would highly recommend, which people get stressed out about, they get stressed out about money, right? Because they're unemployed. So the money thing's tricky, but most people are paying the consequences poorly managing their money. And that's why they're worried, right, about being unemployed. Because if I'm, I, to be fair, my version of COVID was in 2009, where I went from 50 people at my company, I, I, I had to literally fire everybody and went back to zero. I lost everything, lost two houses. I've lived the, that was my COVID experience. Wow. Yeah, so I've been through that, right? But all of my errors were just being exposed because I didn't have enough money. My cash, I was, I was spending more than I was making. And it was like, it was like, it was, I got to a point where I couldn't outsell my stupidity. So you need to take it take responsibility. So if you're worried about being unemployed, it's probably because you have a cash flow problem. Think about how to create a better system. And uh, there's a great guy, his name is Ramit Sethi, R-A-M-I-T. Sethi. Yeah. He's a younger yeah, guy. He talks about, do you know him? Yeah. yeah. I started listening to every finance guru in 2009 from then on. And, and it's just, you have to think about your cash flow and, and savings. And, but number one is get, make sure you're in the right vehicle. Number two is make sure you have, you figure out some sort of financial system for next time, because this will happen again. It's going to happen again, right? This time, this COVID, listen, we have an eight figure business recruiting. No one was hiring. But we were ready for that. I was ready for that since 2009. And I wasn't worried. I wasn't worried. The branding business is doing well. The coaching business is doing well. But the, the recruiting business is now picking up again. 
But I was able to sit on the sidelines for six months, pretty much on the recruiting side, when a lot of my competitors went out of business. And, and I wasn't even worried. I've had a great life the last, I hate to say it, the last six, you know, six, seven, eight months. But it's because the financial part is pretty solid. The third thing is, and this is, this is probably the antithesis of what people will tell you, but don't ask your friends, don't ask your mom, your dad, your brother. No one's, no one's going to, you have to get up every morning and start, if you're going to start your own business, you have to do it. It's not about anybody else. And eventually people get on board and they have to, you know how it is, Matt, it's you control your own life and people have to get on board with what Matt wants to do in the day, not what other people want. And uh, I think that's a big thing I see people. I see so many people that are in these jobs. They just totally, they just hate who they work for, where they work, their commute, the pay. It's just, it's so toxic, but you probably pick the right vehicle. And, and I think that's 80% of it. I love that point about picking the right vehicle. And also you found this path of, I love helping people, right? And that's kind of a, a purpose driven approach. Rather than, I, yeah. I, I would say a lot of people, particularly executives who've got to the top, a lot of those executives, and correct me if I'm wrong, they've pursued status. Maybe they've raised their ego a little bit and there's been a bit of right. a power trip. Certainly uh, a lot of people are trying to get the pay rises and the, the nice cars yeah. and the houses and all that kind of stuff. A lot of guests I've spoken to who've been six, seven figure executives They've made a shift in terms of when they've had a, a career change or significant job changes, at least, where they've realized that they've had the, the cars and the boats and the houses and everything, but that's not enough. They realize that's not making them happy. And Tony Robbins uh, talks a lot about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the six human needs. There's a point where executives uh, get, they, they pass the, the level of significance where they're chasing money and status and then they are looking at more impact and purpose and contribution in their lives do you witness that a lot people at the executive level the people that you deal with looking for more purposeful work and to make more of an impact rather than getting the pay rises it's an interesting point i would say we were dealing with people that are making from three hundred thousand dollars a year to four to five million i had a call two weeks ago with somebody he makes about a million bucks a year so you know it's million dollars is million dollars a year and I, I said, hey, there's, a, there's an opportunity. It pays like $600,000. Like, do you want to hear about it? And he literally said, it's just not going to cover. I need, like, I need to be at the 1.52. So what does that mean? It means that he's making his million bucks a year. He's probably spending the million. And that's a, sad, it's, that's a sad point to get in life where you're always chasing the next carrot. And I'm more like you. I'd rather have a quality life. I have a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. I asked my nine-year-old, I said, hey, am I a good dad? And he's like, yeah, you're a great dad. And, and I said, why am I a good dad? And he literally said, you're always home. You spend time with us. Like when you're home, you're not on your phone. You're just, you're like, you're, he pretty much just said, hey, you're present. You go to a, a coffee shop or you go to a, a, a pub or, and you see people, friends. And they're just like, they're, they're like this with their phone. And they're just, they're not present. Or you go someplace and everyone's with their phones taking pictures. They're not present. You go to Machu Picchu in Peru, beautiful place. and You've got these people that are just, they're, they're not present with the moment. And I think the, the executives I deal with, they're so busy chasing things. They're missing their kids. They're missing. It's amazing. It's not worth it, in my opinion. It's just not worth it. You can't, you, you're not going to die, right, with it. You can't, you can give it, you're going to give it to somebody else. Just read obituaries of people that have done really well financially. And it will be a half a page on how great the guy was or girl and how many properties they bought. And then it will say one small insignificant line, father of two. I want the other obituary. I want the awesome, like had a great life, 
And then the line would be, had a business or two and he was able to feed his kids. That's what I want. I think money is the easiest commodity in the world. You can go tomorrow to a pub and well, you know, do a push up and somebody will give you a pound. So you can get money. It's just, what do you do with it? And how do you buy time? And time is the element, like time. And Tony Robbins preaches the time thing more than the money thing. But that to me is the more important thing, time. And talking of time, George, I think you talked in previous podcasts I've listened to of you about being in a financial prison and you're living to to work, basically. How do you restore balance in life if you're in that position? Does it have to be, I need to get a new job or are there other ways to to do that? Have you witnessed that from some of the clients that you've worked with? I think, and I think you, and you've interviewed a lot of guests who talk about this, they need to have some sort of crisis moment where they decide, but there's a pivot point. And unless they hit that pivot point, there's really, sometimes it's, you know, there's a death or there's illness or they lose a job or they're in, in the unemployment line, or you had a guest where his buddy passed away. It was the guy who wrote about the hundred, hundred things to do in your life. Yes, right? Terry. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah. yeah, just awesome interview, by the way. I, I, I learned a lot from, thank you for that. Cause I learned a lot from that interview. And I was thinking about things that I need to do, like in my life, there's things that I still need to do. But unless they have some sort of pivotal point, it's really hard to say, hey, they're, they're, they were so brainwashed. We're systematically brainwashed. The way the system is, the system rewards money. It rewards brand names. It rewards those things. And people look up to that when it's not the most important thing in life. It's, I don't know, I drive a German sports car, right? It's a nice car. It's a nice car. And I promised myself, if I'm in business 20 years, then I'll get a German sports car. And I'm not going to drive a Honda anymore. Or So that's what I, that's what I did. It's like a 20-year gift for myself. And, and I don't even own the car. I lease it, by the way. So it's a, like it's, it's on my car. So I'll park in. I'll pull in someplace. And usually they'll say, somebody will say, hey, man, like, nice car, man. Nice car. And I always respond with, it's not my car. Like, the bank owns it. Like, it's not, I don't own the car. So you have to be understanding that this is, it's just material nonsense. And chasing it is silly. So I think you need some sort of pivotal point in your life where you say, what's important. And, and that could be on the negative side too. There's a lot of people that are in these relationships where you're like, I'm in this terrible situation. I need to separate and do something else with my life. And you, you've had that moment as well. So you could work for a bunch of companies and but does that make you happy? Does that make Matt happy? Probably not. And it's, you, need a, you need something that says, okay, I'm done. I need to do something with my life. Totally. Yeah. I've just noticed that pattern of, like you said, people reach a threshold, they reach a breaking point and then they change And I think just kind of reflecting on what's important in life, asking that question, if I died tomorrow, what what would I want to do more of? Those kind of questions, they they can help spark more balance rather than having to go through a painful breakup or a death in in a friend or family, et cetera, or losing a job. So I, I want to talk a little bit about COVID. You're in executive search, speaking to... Lots of companies, lots of candidates who are looking for work, I'm sure. What do you think has been a good mindset to have now we're kind of in COVID? There's tons more people looking for jobs, probably less jobs in the market, certainly in some industries anyway. What's a good mindset to have in order to rise above that and actually find opportunities and work with recruiters like you? So I would say you have to think about, it's not going to come to you. You have to go get it, right? That's number one. So you have to just make sure that you control your own destiny with what you're going after. You have to call them. They're not going to call you. And a lot of people are, have been spoiled, right? You have to go, you have to go get it. Number two, and I don't know if you've seen this as well with, with working with folks with their mind shifts and how they change, but exercise is a big deal. It's a mental relief, not a physical relief. And if you don't have some sort of 
activity in your life, you'll find that by bringing in activity, you'll actually, your career will do better. Just a lot of things will improve. So if you're trying to figure out like, how do I fix my career? Fix you first. But a lot of it is just physical activity. Go for a run, go for a walk. If you can't run, go jump on a bicycle. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do. Uh, and I'm convinced that the fact that I practice sports and, and I'm active, I'm convinced that's the reason I've been semi quote unquote successful in businesses. And uh, that's, that's the second thing. I, and I would say the third thing, reading books is a, and listening to books, you get these experts, Tony Robbins. Great. Like he's a great example, right? You, you can, you get these guys that are worth just tons of money and they've got lots of experience for $30. And now it's even cheaper with audible and, and you can, you get the bar of them and they're, they become your coach for eight hours for an audio book. This is a tip by the way. I don't know about you, but I read, listen to roughly 20 to 50 books a month. Wow. 50 books a month. That's well, incredible. So, but I'll preface it with, I use Blinkist. I use, for example, I use Audible. When I go for a run, I'll put an audiobook on. So if I'm walking, if I'm driving, it's constant. So I'm always, if I'm showering, I'll, I'm listening to an, I have an audiobook in the, like a Bluetooth speaker system. So I'm constantly listening to books. But most of the successful people are reading quite a lot. They're pretty well read. And I think that's the third thing is you need to always be sharpening that tool and sort of the, the, the saw. And, and the fourth thing is I preach this and some people have a hard time with this. It's easier to ask for favors when you've been giving favors for 10, 15 years. When you're adding value and you're just, you just, hey, you genuinely want to help somebody. It's just easier later on if you need some help. And I don't know if you want to share what we talked about before the show. I said, hey, I've got some people I'd like you to meet. They'd be good for you. And you just have to give before you get, right? And that's a big thing people forget. They're very selfish. They just don't give a lot of themselves. Yeah, I, I really admired that about you. Like as, as soon as we started talking, you, you immediately offered me something, quite a valuable con set of connections. And, and it was really genuinely offered right. as well. And I appreciate that. And I, I can see how that approach to developing relationships is obviously you've found a lot of success of your purpose of helping people and growing the McGarren group. Right. So yeah, I feel that it really does make a difference. Giving first. And there's two types of candidates, by the way, when you talk to for opportunities, there's two types of people. There's the me, 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 get me a job, me. They're, they're terrible to deal with. They're just, they're just in general. And then the other folks will say, Hey George, I've got a friend of mine or Hey, if you need anything, you know, give me a call. And those are the guys that you try to help out later on because they're genuine and with, with their service. So I would say be very careful with asking for things when you're not yourself giving at first. And I see that in a lot of these folks that make pretty decent money and they're selfish with their time as, as well as their skill set. And that's a, but I, I think, I think you brought up a great topic. It's what's more important, right? The money part or the life part. And I'm a fan of the life part 110% of the time. There's no question. The money is silly. The money is silly. And you get to a point where you're just chasing something that's ridiculous. It's just, it's just silly. Well, let's talk about skill sets and, and pivots as well. There's some people that have been on the same career path for years, many years, sometimes decades, and they just feel they want something completely different. How could you advise executives in that position on how to transfer some of their skills perhaps to a different industry. We're witnessing, for example, the hospitality industries is in many countries yeah. around the world really suffering. There's some very talented executives in those industries, in the travel industries that might be out of a job. And how can they pivot their skills, perhaps into new industries, new careers, and thrive in, in new areas? 
this is a question that I ask myself a lot is what are the top two or three core principles of what am I good at? And, and I try to, from a time standpoint, I try to focus on time management piece. I try to just do things that I'm good at and everything else I delegate. That's the kind of way I do things. Let's say you're a salesperson in the hotel industry and you genuinely like sales, then you need to think about, first of all, do you, do you, do you like the industry? Do you like hospitality? Do you like helping people? But I think if you're going to pivot, tr I would say stick with your core, right? Your core skill set, because when you get away from that, you, you get into trouble. And uh, I'm a decent, my instinct for, for service type related businesses is really, is pretty solid. But I'd be a terrible, if I were to, to say, hey, I'm going to invest in a pub and, and start a pub. That's not my, I might be great at the people part of it, but the actual running the business is not, it would be a disaster and we'll just lose how it won't work. So I think use your, use your core skill set. Everybody has one amazing, I guess they call it a superpower and use that superpower, use that amazing thing you do and, and think about how to use it in a different organization. I would say the second thing, if you're not sure if you're going to do it, then maybe beta test it, right? Like you don't need to buy the cow to have the milk. You can just... So, you know, if you're not sure if you like, I don't know, let's say computer programming, take a course and, and try to get a client and maybe you realize you don't like it. Right. And I would say test it first as well. I think testing is an important part of before you buy, you know, into this and give up your, <laughs> before you give up the farm, I would test things to see if you actually like it. Because people, it's one concept. People say, I want to have a business. I want to start a business. They have, a lot of people don't have any idea what a business means. Business means. Monday is the same as Sunday, at least when you start out. Monday is the same as Sunday. Tuesday is the same as a Saturday. You're borrowing your own money to pay other people, if you even have people on your team. You're, it's a nonstop thing. And people think, oh, it's like this romantic idea about running a business. It's not like that. You and I were talking 20 years into it. I've had 16 years where it was like this. The last four for myself and my company have been amazing. But it took me 16 years to figure out how to, how to run my company. It's absurd if you think about this. And the patience you need to have that, to have to be able to hang out for 20 years is a lot. So it's, I would say test things before you do it. That's probably, I was pretty ignorant to the business, starting a business. But, but if I could do it over again, I'd probably test it, see if I liked it or not. And then I would decide what to do. But I would say you don't have to go all in. You can go 30% in, decide if you like it, and then move on. It's, it's like relationships. You're not going to get married in the first day. Maybe not but I wouldn't. So, yeah. Yeah. That's super sound advice about testing. And, and actually I recommend that to clients as well to actually speak to people in those businesses, those kind of fields in those industries right. and actually get a sense of what the people are like, what kind of real skills you need and what it's really like to run that business or be in that job doing these kind of informational interviews of, of actually asking people, hey, what is it like? Do you mind if I have a coffee with you? Or can we have a virtual chat yeah. for a few minutes? I'd really value your input. And talking of that, approaching people, networking to find new jobs and or even to start approaching employers, what would you right. say is some good advice in terms of how to approach networking for people that are maybe quite nervous about it or, or not quite sure how right. to to do it because th there is an approach now where there's so many people putting their resumes in piles of inboxes of employers and a lot right. of them probably aren't even seen. What can people do, maybe networking, maybe something else, to get to the top of the pile and actually be seen? Right. So I, I call this the, um, you need to get 
un, the unfair advantage, right? And I don't think I've shared this with another podcast, but I, I, in my team, on my team, we call this the unfair advantage, right? Where it's, it's, and by the way, as a candidate, there's an 85% chance that somebody will find their next job through six degrees of separation. That's the statistics of just how things work. So you need to think about creating networks, but that's really statistically, that's how you're going to find your job. The response rate, you talk about the sending out applications and resumes and CVs and things. I think statistically there's a 2% response rate. So it's pretty much yeah, nil. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's That's terrible. insane. So, wow. Yeah. Interesting so not, stats. You know, yeah. Not, yeah. It's not a great, it's not a great use of time. And if you think about this, the idea of like email, click email, and then somebody gives you a job, it's pretty difficult. The best way is through relationships and, and you need to think about reverse engineering. So let's say there's a lead someplace. So there's a lead at, I don't know, Barclays. So there's a lead at Barclays for a role. You need to think about who, who do I know that works there, that used to work there? Is there somebody that I went to university with or school with? You have to really think about the unfair advantage. And so you need to use tactics like that. You're much better doing that than applying to the Barclays thing online. Listen, I'm a fan of HR to some extent, but HR in general keeps folks like me in business because they're not that efficient. And literally I run a recruiting business because of HR's inefficiency. Think about that. And the whole industry is, 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 is pretty lucrative because of HR doesn't always, and it's that they just, they don't check the box and you just don't get hired. And I've seen so many great people that have said, Hey, George, I've got this great resume, great TV, LinkedIn's terrific. I just don't, I'm not getting any love. What do I do? And then I go back to, let's talk about your activity. Let's talk about who you're talking to, how many people you're talking to, the math behind it. And they say, yeah, but I'm, I'm applying to this. I've applied to 83 jobs. And I tell them, just forget the internet. Don't worry about the internet. Worry about the people. And people give other people jobs. It's just the way life works. But that's what I think people, we get confused with the internet and tools like LinkedIn. And we forget that the whole purpose of this is for people, right? It's the people uh, connection. So you need to really figure out how to expose that and exploit that and, and get that unfair advantage. All of our recruiting clients, by the way, I would say 95% of the recruiting clients we have are based on some sort of unfair advantage where I knew somebody, I helped out somebody else, I helped out a brother of a brother, and then I was referred to this to, the, to a recruiting client. Or I helped the person with the coaching, and then we landed a recruiting contract with them on the corporate side. Most of the business that we do is because of an unfair advantage, right? Because I'm just some guy from the McGarren group that nobody ever heard of, 30, 40-person team. There's, there's larger companies than mine, but how do I get these, land these, you know, like Pepsi's a client of ours, right? So we've got Pepsi, we've got, we've got all of these major brands. How do I, how does a guy like me get that contract? I get it because I know somebody and that's, you need to think about really how to play that game because that's what it is. Awesome. Yeah. Connections. You're the sum of the, the five people you spend the most time with and, uh, and yeah. getting more of those connections will elevate you to a path you want to be on for sure. Yeah. I, I totally see that. It's exactly that. And I'm going to name drop here, but I mentioned to you, I'm going to, I'm going to pass you on to the people at Mind Valley, right? All, they're doing awesome stuff. That's a connection you probably wouldn't have. You know what I mean? And that's what you and I are talking. So it's that's how you get the unfair advantage. You're going to have the unfair advantage because you're come, you come preferred. And then now Matt walks in with the unfair advantage. And that's how you build a career, a business, a lot of things. And that to me, I think is people forget about that. They always forget about that part. They're so tied into this internet thing rather than the people part of it. I'm very curious about your resilience, George, because you've been running this business for 20 years. It was a struggle for the first yeah. good few years. So yeah. there's a real level of resilience within you, no doubt. 
And it's very, I'm very curious because I, I was reading some of your some interesting facts about you. You've run uh, a number of ultra marathons all around yeah. the world. And the first ultra marathon you did was you, you'd never done even a marathon before. I think the most you'd run was 20, 21K or something like that. Exactly. Was, and you went straight marathon, into yeah. an ultra marathon, which is how, how long is that? How many miles or kilometers so this was, is that? This was, it was 80 kilometers, so it's 50 wow. miles. Okay. Yeah. So 80 kilometers with trail, right? So it's trail, mm. which is much more difficult than through the mountains and things. And so it's, it's more difficult than just a pave. It's like a you know marathon. Most marathons are run on pavement, right? And, and, and also I read about you being one of, the, one of the world's worst deep sea fishermen. Yeah. Terrible. Uh, again, terrible. that's practicing resilience. And you talked earlier about your practice of sports and, and competing. In sports, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some. You've got to have grit to try and win the games. How can people practice developing resilience? And my thoughts around this from observing your actions over the years to run your business for so long and be successful and grow it stems from getting into these activities, these difficult activities. Deep sea fishing is not easy. Ultramarathon's definitely not easy. Is it a case of putting yourself really out of your comfort zone and yeah, developing probably. that discipline? And, I, and, I, and I'll share something with you. I haven't shared that much. But I used to live in, when I, I lived in Barcelona for a while. I was in Barcelona for years. And I had a roommate. He was an older guy. So it was myself and two other roommates. It was like these two older guys. And he was just recently divorced at the time with the Spanish law. And he, he taught me how to speak Spanish. I would play chess with him every night. We'd play chess. He taught, his name is Juan. And the, he had just gotten divorced. His ex-wife had gotten remarried and he was still forced to pay something like 50 or 60% of his paycheck to the yeah, ex-wife. So he was depressed and it was, I was in my twenties. I was actually, I was, I was 20. I just think I just turned 20 and he just, he was going through a rough time. And I'll tell you that it didn't turn out well at all. He committed suicide and I wasn't there, but I, I came home one day and the police were there and they said, Hey, did, did you know Juan? And I was like, did I know him? I know Juan. And then they told me the story, how he had taken his car and, he just, he got to a point where, and he was in his, to me, he was like super old, but he was in his fifties, which was not, now it's not old to me anymore, but he got to a point where he just didn't really see any, I guess he didn't see the value of life. And I, I went through this almost a depression. I was sad. I don't know if you've ever dealt with suicide before or, and, and folks, but it's, I, I felt bad when I, I would cry. And one day I said, you know what? And this is not, I just said, you know what? I've got a whole life to live. Like I need to enjoy my part of life. I'm young. I, I've got another 60 years left. Like why? And that was a big change for me talking about change. That was a big thing that said, I need to really enjoy life. Like whatever I do, I need to enjoy it because, and I started thinking about mortality, right? Like that, so I've, a lot of things I've done are driven around. I want to make sure that I have the best life possible. And it's, it's, people miss that. They work their whole life to retire when they're 65, 70, when they're back. And then they can't travel the world, travel the world now, go on a sabbatical. I don't know for a year, do things where you're healthy. The worst case scenario for me for the ultra marathon was, okay, if I run it and I don't finish it, I just don't finish it. There's no, there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. At least I tried. And so I do a lot of things like that. Like I, I'm not worried about the failure part of it. It's part of life. And at least I know that I'm trying. Like I'm not going to have a, I would have, should have when I'm 80 years old, if I make it to 80. So I I just think a lot of people, they don't do things because they're afraid they're going to fail. Don't worry about the failure part. You might fail, but if you do, good for you. At least you were, at least you had the guts to do it or try. And I think a lot of people miss that. So I, I have a lot. My, I'm extremely conscious of that experience of what happened to me and what happened to my friend. And I have to. He 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 got to a point where he just didn't he didn't see the value of continuing on and enjoying life. And 
to me, it was a, it was a gift to have that. I mean, it gave me a great lesson because I get, I'm conscious of that. If you're hanging out at your parents' house, that's a blessing, right? Because 50 years, you know, 40 years from now, you won't be able to say that. And I live across the street from my parents, by the way. My mom has dementia. My dad, my parents are older. And we moved literally to live right across the street from them. That, that's an awesome thing. That's not going to be forever. And so that's a lot of the stuff that I do is driven by the fact that I know that I don't have, I'm 45. What do I have another 40 years left? It's the first 45 has gone so quickly. So I'm trying to take advantage of as much as I can very quickly. So a lot of things I do, if my business fails, it could fail tomorrow. I don't know, but at least I'm in the arena. You know what I mean? Playing like I'm, I'm there. So it's okay to fail. That's how I see things. I think failure is great. To be honest with you. I think it's a good thing to be able to accept. I'm always fascinated by guests that have kids. And in terms of some of the principles, I guess, that you want to instill in your kids around right. failure, around resilience, how do you teach that? How do you, how do yeah. you give them that grit? Do, do you get them to do sports or, or yeah. run alongside you yeah. in ultra marathon? Yeah. So the, sometimes they come running with me, they actually run with me. The other uh, big, I mean, they're football, soccer, you know, football, they're fans. They play. He's the older one loves the Premier League. It just he's all about the Premier League, right? Yeah. So I don't know if you're a Premier League guy, but he's all about the Premier, yeah. Premier League. <laughs> so the first thing that I wasn't taught this as a kid. I, I wasn't I didn't grow up with with any I didn't grow up with money. So I didn't uh, the first thing I've taught them is how to spend money and how to use money because that's a that's something I wasn't taught. And I think that's a generational thing that I can save, I can help their kids and they're not gonna have that. So they understand. It's, I've preached them about the remit, you know, remit Sethi and being able to, to have money saved for accidents. So you're able to always do things. So the first thing is money. Money is an, an important thing in life. Money buys you time, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is I just want them to try to, to do the best they can. So my kids now, they're at like this sort of co, this hybrid learning thing at school. And my one son, he's, he was doing, he was doing okay. And I said, Hey, Christian, his name is Christian. How are you doing? I'm looking at your, your grades here. It's, I'm like, how are you finding school? He said, oh, it's so easy. It's simple. Like, it's not hard at all. And then I told him, I said, you know what? Like, at the end of the day, you're cheating the system. If you're going to get, he's getting 80. So one to 100, he's getting 85. He's getting 85s. And I said, you're cheating the system. I'd rather have you get an 85 trying as hard as you can than just getting an 85 knowing that you're coasting. And, and you need to, so I focus on not trying to beat the system. There's a lot of coasters out there that are always trying to beat the system. And I don't know, if you're going to give it 100%, be all in and just do stuff. And uh, so I try, I'm trying to instill that in them. It's, and the third thing is I'm trying to teach them about sometimes kids, they don't want to do things because they're afraid. And I'm trying to teach them the mindset thing. The mindset is important of I'm going to win. I'm going to lose. But some kids go into things thinking they're going to lose. Like you can't live that way. So it, it's, I don't know. It's a tough thing. I don't know. And, and kids change. You'll see when you have kids, they change and, and the personalities are different. And my, my one son is super introvert. He's just an introvert. The younger one's like crazy extrovert. So you teach them different things, but it's the idea of controlling your own time is something. It sounds like a fantasy. You hear this everywhere, right? You hear this, you see this on Instagram and ought to be an entrepreneur. And it's not like that, but if you can control your own time, you've won, you're doing pretty well for yourself. If you can decide today what I'm going to do, and that's a big thing for people. So I'm trying to teach them to, to, to do things that will let them control their time. Awesome. I love those insights yeah. of what people w would advise their kids because it's, it's from a life of learning, a life of experience yeah. and, and, and giving that to the next generation. And yeah. great to, to give it to our listeners as well today. You'll see when you have kids, there's no textbook or there's no rule. Sure. Just, I think one of the mistakes some parents make is that they think that their kid is the smartest, the brightest, the fastest. See, I don't think that about my kids. I'm realistic. 
I think it, but I think it's, you need to give your kids decent values, make sure they understand the value of people and treating people correctly. They're pretty well traveled. They've traveled quite a lot. So it's, they've seen other things as well, which is good, but I have to be very careful with them so that they don't become off as spoiled because they technically can have anything they want. And I'm very, my wife and I are very careful that they, they, to be fair, they live like middle-class kids, like a normal middle-class, normal, they don't, the younger one wears all the, wears the, the sort of the trainers from the, from the older one and a lot of hand-me-downs and, and they're, they, they're pretty balanced and we're, we're making sure that they don't lose that. Cause it's an important, it's an important thing to have and just to be a balanced person. Yeah. Um, before I ask my last question, George, where can people find you, get, maybe get in touch with you after this episode and also who are the kind of candidates or, or companies as well that you can help employ or, or get hires for so we've got a couple actually we've got a couple of different businesses right but the best way is probably linkedin right if you just google george mcgarren linkedin i've got like thirty thousand connections but they could send me a message on linkedin that's the probably the best way i'm everywhere i'm on instagram everything else but linkedin is from a professional standpoint is probably the best the best way we're mostly dealing with so a couple types of people we're dealing with executives right on the on the job front on the branding front which is like the cvs and linkedin's we're dealing with entrepreneurs, business folks, as well as executives. And then we've got a coaching business. Mostly it's executives or entrepreneurs that are starting a business. And then the, the last one of the other business we just started is actually, we're, we're going to start booking people actually on interviews on podcasts. So let's say you're an entrepreneur. So we're going to book folks on between 24 to 48 interviews. It's based on my experience because I've been on like 60 to 70 shows in the last three months. I've seen, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's a super so useful service. I, I'll be looking for that. Yeah, yeah. so we, we did that for ourselves internally and we priced it out. And I was like, this is a, there's a lot of people that would just love a turnkey solution where you just you pick your shows and then you're on 24 to 48 shows. It's great for the brand. You know this, if you Google, like when I Google you, all your shows show up. It's great for the brand if you're a business person and uh, social proof, as they call it. So we've got that business. We just launched that. So I don't know. It's just, but they could, if they're interested about any of those four services, they could send me a message on LinkedIn. Say, hey, George, I heard you're, how do I get hooked up with the podcast thing? Or how do I get hooked up with the branding thing? Or the other thing is, they don't need to pay me to be a contact. Like I'm not, they can just send me a message. Hey, I've got this problem. I heard you on XYZ podcast. Can we talk? And I'm, I'm pretty easy with my time. Like I, if I can help somebody out, it's, it always comes full circle. They can just send me a message. I tell people, you don't need to pay me to, for me to help you. Like you can just ask me questions and I'll answer the questions, right? Like it's not, sometimes people think that they need to engage me in a service to, to be able to help them. It's not like that. It comes back down to the, this purpose of yours. You love helping people. I'm going to save you a lot of grief. If you have a choice between kids or not kids, don't do the, don't, don't have kids. <laughs> We'll see. We'll yeah. see. I'll let you yeah. know if I have one. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put George's contact details in, in the show notes so you can get in, in touch with George that way. My final question, George, definitely I see you as, as someone that, that lives with passion, with all the stuff you do around the world, yeah. you know, the ultra marathons, deep sea fishing. My next thing is I'm going to start flying planes. That's my next thing. Okay, there we go. Yeah, <laughs> Incredible. No, that's, my, that's, that's actually... That's the next couple of weeks I'm going to start learning. So that's the, Goodness the next me. Uh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. Practicing resilience with, with another <laughs> challenge there for sure. Yeah. So yeah, you live with passion. Definitely you've got the very purposeful life helping people. And it, it seems you have a, a really good balance. You've got time for people. You've got time for your kids and, and your loved ones. You seem that you've got a good life balance. I call that living with passion, purpose and balance to burn from within. You're not burning out, but right. actually it, it's all coming from exactly. within you. What 
is the one thing you think that's made the biggest difference, George, in your life to burn from within? And I'm going to show you this journal. It's so you hear it, the journaling thing is amazing. It's hard to do initially, right? It's not natural, but I, and it's not consistent initially, but then you get into this practice of journaling and writing down your thoughts and it doesn't have to be at all coherent. Like it just be this rambling on of just, but when you go back and you read, it's really interesting to read who Matt was three months ago, like to actually read who you were and to read who George was three months ago. And you say, wow, I didn't, you know what? I meant to do that. I never did that. And I, and then you start, the journaling thing has been amazing for me, right? The books, the books and knowledge is, is also to me really interesting. People say they don't have time. Listen, you can watch Netflix or you can read a book, right? Or listen to a book. And then the, the third thing is exercise. But I think journaling, it's just a great, it, it doesn't have to make sense when you journal and just write stuff down. I don't know if you journal, do you journal? I do, I do. I, I don't do it every yeah. single day, but I do it maybe every two days. Yeah. Yeah, so I didn't do it today. I was meant to do it. I was supposed to do it today. I didn't do it today, but I, hopefully I will. I did it yesterday. And sometimes it's a half a page and sometimes it's seven pages, right? I've just stuffed. And I, it's pretty low key. I've got a, a basic thing. There's no, it's just a basic book. And then I've got a basic pen and I put it and I just, I bring it with me as a, if, if my phone is with me, the book is with me. Sometimes the phone's not with me and the book's with me. I go on a bike ride, bring my journal, leave the phone at home. And then you're at a park and you just start writing. It just, I don't know, it's, it's been a peaceful thing. I'm trying to get into meditation. And I don't know if you meditate, but I'm trying to learn. I'm having a hard time. I might be the world's worst, you know, meditator as well. But I did a I did a ten day vipassana retreat, which I threw myself in at the deep end. So it was like almost no meditation to ultra marathon level meditation. So maybe you could try that. (laughs) Did you Did you love it? I did. It was a challenge. It was a challenge, but. After I left, I, I felt like really yeah. amazing for ages, for like months afterwards. It was, it was incredible. That's amazing. And you learn things or take away things that are, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So Actually, what's the name I, of the, because it, what's the name of the, what's the name of the, where you went? If you go to dharma.org, there's okay. a list of the passing centers around the world. I went to one in Lampoon, a city called Lampoon. Nice. We did a 10 day a retreat. That's the the kind of style of teaching. Actually, interesting you say about journals. I, I probably shouldn't admit this. You're not supposed to journal in the in the Vipassana retreat, but I snuck in a journal, and, <laughs> and I did. I had some amazing insights that, that I wrote down. Yeah. So yeah, I, I would say journaling cool. for sure is incredible. Yeah. Just don't tell the I'd don't lo- tell I mean, people. I, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I won't. the, the uh, of course that's an amazing ten day you invest in yourself. It, it, it's like you you're, you coach people as well, right? So you know the, the fact that you invest in yourself. You have to. That's a tip too, I was going to say, and I always tell, sometimes I tell, I tell people this, I'm like, listen, either invest with me and or, or invest in something, but at the end of the day, you need to invest in somebody and invest in yourself. And that's the best thing you can do with your money is literally take the money and you're spending it for yourself. And uh, like, it's it, you just, you're, you spend 10 days on yourself and that changes the rest of your life, right? Because you have some takeaways that you keep and, and they don't go away. It's just amazing. But that's the... I don't know if you agree, if you've seen that. A lot of people don't want to invest in it in terms of hiring a coach. I've got coaches that I use. Like you have to invest in yourself. It's just, there's no, it's, that's a nice shortcut for people if they really want to get ahead. Definitely, you know, spend money on yourself and hire people that are experts to help you. So, I totally believe in that as well, completely. Yeah. yeah. George, it's honestly been a real pleasure to fast, speak fast with you hour. today. So thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, anyone who, who wants to get in touch with George, check out the show notes. All the contact details will be there. And let, let's stay in touch. I think yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, going to send you, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna send you a WhatsApp message as we, when we get off this. So perfect. you have my number. Awesome. And uh, my brother from my different mother, I appreciate it, Matthew. You're, you're yeah. awesome, man. <laughs>
Thanks, George. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Matt. See Thanks, you soon. Cheers. We've raised a few issues in this interview that might resonate with you, such as being in a financial prison, pivoting to a new career or industry, and finding the right career vehicle for you. I cover all of these one-on-one in my Career Fulfillment 12-week program. For more information on this, go to burnfromwithin.com forward slash fulfillingcareer. That's F-U-L. F-I-L-L-I-N-G, career. And you can book a free consultation with me to know if this program is absolutely right for you. Now, I'm loving the reviews that keep coming in for the show. A shout out to Wild Romanian Dogs in Australia who left this five-star review on iTunes saying, I can't help but get super inspired every time I listen to one of these episodes of Burn From Within. The guests always have such a good energy, enthusiasm and drive for living their best life and it really comes through in the conversations. I come away from each podcast just feeling really uplifted and with a feeling that really anything is possible and it's actually more straightforward than we think to change direction in life, especially if it's pivoting towards your passion. Thank you so much for these. It really fueled my passion so keep them coming in. And you can leave a review super easy now by going to ratethispodcast.com forward slash burn from within. That's ratethispodcast.com forward slash burn from within. You can select the podcast platform you use to listen to this and then the site will tell you the exact instructions for your own platform on where and how to leave a review. Until next time, live with passion, purpose and balance and burn from within.